0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. It's Jawad here for you. For the last time in 2022, uh, this is going to be the F1 season review. As you know, I like to do these unscripted fairly, um, and just it's more like a casual. Chat and reflection on the year that has been in Formula One on and off the track. It was obviously a big year because we came into this new era of technical regulations. They were delayed because of the COVID 19 pandemic over to 2022. Um, and also coming off the end of last year, where we had that controversial finish in Abu Dhabi as well, um, a lot of questions needed to be answered or were left unanswered by the FIA. So there was a lot coming into this year. And you know, while we have had like a one-way championship, you got to say with Red Bull and Max Verstappen winning in the end, quite comfortably. Um, I think it's been a pretty decent year overall when you look at all the other um, permutations and how um, the regulations have kind of changed the shape of the field. So, you know, why not just start from the top and talk about the Red Bull Racing Team, talk about Max Verstappen as well. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of expectation, you know, coming out of last year going into a title decider, whether, um, you know, given the development that they've done in the lead up or the development that they were focusing on last year, uh, would they have been able to hit the ground running this year and, you know, at the start of the year it obviously looked a bit shaky, there was two retirements and three races for Verstappen um, with reliability problems, Sergio Perez as well. Um, Bahrain was a disaster as far as um, Red Bull were concerned there for the first race of the season and both cars failing to see the chequered flag. Um, but then from there, really, Max has kind of been faultless and you know peerless as well. Lowest finish, I think, all season apart from those... Um, DNFs that he had in Bahrain and in Melbourne was 7th overall, so that's doing pretty good considering, you know, he's winning race left, right and centre, he set the record for most wins in a season as well, eclipsing that Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher record of 13 wins, so, you know, it's going to take a lot of beating again next season, and then for Red Bull as well, first Constructors Championship since 2013. Uh, a lot of criticism, yet still about Sergio Perez and, you know, how he just can't be as quick as Max, or he's he's not the best second driver, like, you know, say what you will about him, I think he's still done a pretty decent job, he's not, you know, uh, a class driver, if you want to call it, you know, I'd probably rank him as a B B grade for this year, but he has done pretty well in terms of um, supporting Max where he can and then of course that flash point in Brazil where the roles were reversed and Max was needing to support him but didn't get that support in the end and also it didn't make a difference come Abu Dhabi because Leclerc just had more points and yeah you know even on countbacker wins Leclerc had Perez covered so it's some of those little inconsistencies on Perez's side that has hurt him a little bit you know There's no way he's ever going to beat Verstappen in equal machinery. That's just a given. But, you know, for Red Bull to miss out on what could have been an ultra-dominant year with 1-2 in the championship as well as a Constructors' title win, I think, you know, they're going to be looking back at that and analysing where Perez could have done a bit better because, uh, to be honest, you know, some of the races where his qualifying was... You know, he made it really difficult for himself in qualifying, which was something that was talked about last year as well. But then, at the same time, he pulled off two wins at two very, very difficult street circuits in Monaco and Singapore. Say what you want about Monaco. Are they, you know, that clued on to say, oh, you know, um, is the driver that clued on to say, oh, you know, I'm going to crash so I can win the race tomorrow, even though I'm starting third? Like you know, you would have to really map it out, you know, if you have got some kind of um, Palantir or whatever to look into the future, you'd be able to figure that out, but you know, if there is some kind of internal squabble over that then you know let it be it'll work itself out I'm sure next year will be quite interesting particularly with um Red Bull having Daniel Ricciardo back in the fold as well as a third driver um even though it's more of an ambassadorial kind of thing from what we hear but you know I'm sure there will be some pressure put on Perez as well in that and while we're on that subject of you know bringing out a red flag in qualifying um why don't they just change the rule? I'm sure, like, everyone is saying the same thing. I'll just implement a rule that says if you trigger a red flag in qualifying, you get your lap deleted, you know, your fastest lap taken away, or whatever. So they do that in the Supercars Championship, of course, so, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't do it in F1. Because, again, in Brazil, we saw George Russell benefit from that when he started um, close to the front of the grid in the qualifying session, then went on to win the sprint, and then, of course, winning the Grand Prix, and we'll talk about Mercedes a little bit later, um, have I waxed lyrical about Red Bull and Verstappen enough yet? And, and Perez as well, as a whole? Probably, but also not, you know, I just want to highlight quickly, (laughs) um, some of my favorite drives, I guess, for for Verstappen this year, Hungary and Belgium in particular, where he did start further down the grid and kind of just made his way to the front, you know, that's where car and driver were really um, intertwined and in that sweet spot, but then also highlighting kind of the early part of the season as well, coming off that DNF in Australia, um, to then go on and dominate the weekend in Imola, in Ferrari's backyard, with a sprint race as well, then also Miami and and Barcelona too, where Ferrari, they demonstrated how good they were in qualifying, Um, Red Bull had to work, and Verstappen had to work for those wins early on, so to come out of the first half of the season that strong um, showed you the strengths on the Red Bull side, but then on the Ferrari side, it showed you their weaknesses, and when you look at Baku... um, that point in the season you know where it was looking all fine and dandy for Leclerc you know pole fastest lap win in in Bahrain pole fastest lap win in Australia just missing out on the win in in the second round as well to then Barcelona mechanical failure Azerbaijan mechanical failure um but having pole position for those four races you know they were quick but just couldn't stitch together a race there was you know strategic issues on the pit wall they couldn't decide what they were doing strategy wise then of course the reliability as well came and became an issue and then when they found some consistency um in terms of just being reliable the pace wasn't there you know they were third quickest car in most instances and slipping behind mercedes who came into the season so far behind red bull and ferrari that it was a miracle that they'd be even able to challenge for podium so you know that's where it all kind of fell apart for them uh silverstone as well kind of was one of those races where you as much as i was really happy for carlos signs and to get his first win and to get it in a ferrari as well was probably one of the best things can, that can happen to you in Formula One, um, from a championship perspective, what were Red Bull or sorry, what were Ferrari doing? Where um, they didn't pit Leclerc for the soft tires uh, because he was exposed and left to finish fourth in the end, not even on the podium. So, given that Verstappen finished the race in seventh, it would have been a great race for them to claw back some points. Um, he did bounce back in Austria though, and then France could have been. You know, France was kind of the um, Sebastian Vettel Germany 2018 moment where he made the mistake um, at his, you know, quasi home race, you could say, Monegasque, French. I don't know if you could count that as a home race for Leclerc. But it was from a position where he could have easily won, um, got 25, 25 points in the bank, 26 with the fastest lap but instead it went the way of Verstappen, and also the start of a five-race winning streak for the Dutchman. So, you know, from there, the rest of the season for Leclerc really didn't matter as much. I mean, yeah, he had pole in uh, Monza and Singapore, and he was on the podium as well for a number number of those races. But, you know, the difficult thing with Ferrari is you know, and people have been debating endlessly about this given, um, the now sacking of Mattia Bonotto or sacked or resigned, whatever you want to say, you know, we know we all, we've all seen the godfather, haven't we? (laughs) Um, we all know how that all plays out. So, um, as much as, you know, you can say that this was a successful season for Ferrari given the fact that the last two years they've not been able to win a race and then they've finished second in the championship which has been the best finish and I apologise um (laughs) apologise for the barking in the background that is a little Lulu a, a rescue poodle that we've just adopted um this week so she's still kind of getting used to hearing other dogs around um not not in our place but um the neighbors and everything too so yes welcome Lulu to our little family here um probably one of the best things that have happened to us this year. <laughs> uh yeah so where was I Leclerc and Ferrari um you know given where they were the last 2 years and also something I said two years in 2020, is that, you know, we need to afford Ferrari the time to be able to get into a title-winning position, you know, we can't be so brutal, even though I am quite brutal, because the expectation's there to for them to win, um, that if they really want to transform themselves into a modern Formula One team, you know, and to be a sharp organization like a Red Bull and Mercedes, who, let's be fair, since since 2010, you know, it's been those two teams that have won all the championships, so that is a long, long time, you know, 12 years, 13 years or whatever, that we've had dominance from those two teams, and Ferrari really just can't seem to get it right in this modern era, and, you know, the fact that, again, they've resorted to uh, sacking a team boss is like, well, here we go again, what's going to happen this time, you know? M- that's probably just the cynical side of the the situation I see. At the time when Bonotto did replace Maurizio Arrivomeni, I did think that that was not a good decision anyway, given that, um, Bonotto was more of a technical guru he had done so well on the engine side of things and becoming the the technical chief as well of the team you know overseeing the design of the car that was more his forte I didn't think that you know leading the team perhaps was his strong suit and that's what we kind of saw unravel this year given all the mistakes that they made and the accountability wasn't there for the rest of the team and when it when I talk about you know making people accountable it doesn't mean you know you've got to sack them for making a mistake it's about how can you learn from this and move on and do better next time that's probably what happens in organizations like red bull and and mercedes and whatnot is where um, the staff and people are empowered to be able to you know learn from their mistakes and develop but given the disconnect between, you know, Ferrari, the race team, and then also the board now headed up by John Elkin and um, Benedetto Vigna, I think, is the new CEO who's replaced Louis Camilleri. Um, you know, they've just decided to not really empower their team principal whatsoever. So hopefully now with Frederic Vasseur coming in, which was confirmed as part of a big team principal team boss merry-go-round that we had last week which we'll talk about a bit later um we can see that empowerment come because if not it's just going to be a a doomed never-ending cycle of you know sacking a team boss if they don't do well and then um you know start over again and how would it be for the drivers too like Leclerc's never going to win a championship if they don't get their act together sorry and You know, for Carlos signs as well. Is it really the kind of environment you want to be in? Yes, you're driving a Ferrari, but you know, poison chalice is a poison chalice. Just ask the likes of Alan Prost, Fernando Alonso, or maybe don't ask Fernando Alonso because he didn't really make many good decisions after that. But for the likes of Alan Prost, you know, um, to go there, things not to work out, but you know, he's still four-time world champion because he's won with uh, McLaren, he's won with Williams you know, it's just, for whatever reason, things just don't work out at Ferrari, so, you know, until Ferrari can find a way to adapt to being a modern, modern team and adopting these modern values, um, I don't think that they're going to be in contention at all, you know, we probably need to forget about them being there, they'll be, like, second best, third best, but, you know, don't get your hopes up for a Ferrari championship win anytime soon, and, you know, with with a new team principal as well what does that do does that you know reset their mindset of oh, okay well now we've got to wait another year or two for a championship because we've got to let you know fred settle in and you know systems procedures yada yada and then um <laughs> and then go for the title so it's just it's excuse after excuse and there's no real progress being shown i mean this year Genuinely, there was progress in the last two years coming out of two winless seasons and being in a position to actually fight for race wins and overall were the quickest car on occasion. But, you know, it's the execution side that's really let them down. And, you know, that's where, um, you know, I would have given Bonotto another year to get his act together with the team and then made a decision. at the end of 2023, whether he'd be the right person to to carry on for them, um so yeah, that's that's enough about Ferrari. Let's talk about Mercedes and the fall from their supremacy of the last eight years of you know constructors' championship glory and drivers' championship glory as well for um, Lewis Hamilton. And considering where they started the year as well, I think you know to then come into the final race in Abu Dhabi within with a sniff of potentially finishing second ahead of Ferrari it's it's a pretty good job you know and I know they won't be satisfied because they weren't in the hunt but to have the consistency that they did in the middle part of the season from Hamilton's side was incredible like you know we I kind of wrote him off early saying you know that maybe he's finished but also saying look you know maybe he won't win another title but he can definitely continue to win races and keep Mercedes at the front moving forward Sorry, moving forwards. Um, but given the form that we've seen him in, in, through the middle of the season and then towards the end of the season too with all the second-place finishes that he's had, um, I can't wait to see what Mercedes do next year. I mean, George Russell really emerged, you know, in those opening races. He was the top Mercedes driver quite consistently. You know, he had those run of top-five finishes until the big crash, at Silverstone, with the Joe Guan Yu um which was unfortunate thankfully he was okay but you know he's finished no lower than um 14th I think you know when in in Singapore so that was kind of the worst race that he had but he's been quite consistent and then to get the one and only win for Mercedes as well this season and of course his maiden win in F1 it was it was a matter of time moving to a team like Mercedes and getting the win but for for Hamilton First winless season in F1, that um, record is now no longer with him, unfortunately, uh, who who else is going to, uh, you know, there's no one else on the grid with that record currently, so we'll have to wait till some new young gun comes in and gets to win from, from the get-go, maybe Oscar Piastri will do that next year, which I highly doubt unless McLaren can um, crack the silver bullet for 2023, but... Yeah, great year for them overall, I think, you know, there's not much to say they did wrong, or, you know, you know they did what they could to finish where they did, I think, you know, with a team like Mercedes, there's more faith in them to get things right for the next year than there would be for a Ferrari, because, you know, they're genuinely just didn't know what went wrong, or they understood what went wrong, and they tried engineering their way out of it, but it, it just didn't quite work out, so, you know, for whatever reason, the W13, I guess, 13, the uh, lucky number for them, didn't seem so lucky in the end. I don't know what I was trying to get with that, but anyway, we'll move it on. Um, yeah, an interesting stat as well, thanks to Pirelli for the overtakes for this season, there was a 31% increase overall between last year and this year. So, you know, that shows you that, you know, the ability to follow cars, follow cars a lot closely with these um, ground effect um, machines has made a difference. You know, most of the overtaking we did see was in the midfield, sadly, so again, you know, we're looking at the likes of Lando Norris, the Alpine drivers, Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, because they were locked in a battle pretty much for the whole season, which, you know, I've talked about through the year, that, you know, on pace, Alpine was the better better car, better team, but McLaren, you know, just Lando Norris's efforts in particular to get within the points gap that they did you know was just incredible and Norris actually finishing ahead of them in the championship as well um, with 122 points to 92 points for Ocon and 81 for Alonso Alonso you know he's the biggest he's his own biggest fan I think you know when he says things like you know I um, could have easily finished higher in the championship this is how many points that I've lost because of incidents and when you do look at that early part of the season you know bad luck in Saudi, bad luck in Melbourne, bad luck in Imola, you know, and then no points again in Miami as well, you know, that's quite a big loss of points early on, And you know, there was that talk of him potentially getting pole position in uh, Melbourne, because he was quite quick in qualifying, so, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda at the end of the day, it doesn't all, it doesn't really matter, because it's done and dusted, but, um, you know, I'm kind of disappointed that he's leaving Alpine to go to Aston Martin, you know, whether Aston Martin are going to be a team that, you know, can give him what he didn't have at Alpine, but at the same time, um, they kind of built up to a point where, you know, they're in a good position, you know, to, in this new era of regulations, but now they've got a do the work again with um, two new drivers, or a new driver in Pierre Gasly next year, and that's going to bring with it it its own challenges, given the fact that he and Ocon don't really get on. Um, No podiums for for Alpine either, despite, you know, them kind of being the fourth quickest car on occasion, um, closest to that they got, was fourth for Ocon in Japan, the fast that Japan was, not going to talk about that just yet, but a bit later, um, I'm going to have my little rant about the FIA and and Formula One as a whole, uh, but Norris to be on the podium there in Imola, I think, was, was an excellent thing, and, you know, while we're talking about McLaren, you know, why not give a big, big shout out to Andreas Seidel, who, as we know now, is departing, um, Straight away to head off to the Alfa Romeo Sauber team, he's going to be their CEO, of course, to be in, um, to be there in anticipation of the arrival of Audi in 2026, so of course his big ties with the Volkswagen Audi Group being team principal for Porsche and WEC, so, you know, I think it's a big, big coup for the Sauber Group to get someone like him on board, but, you know, just a testament to, um, the hard work he's done with McLaren since coming in 2019 you know to get eight podiums I think it is the win as well in Monza with Ricardo. it's just great and hopefully you know as Zach Brown has said since promoting Andrea Stella to um, the team principal role for next year onwards that you know they just continue to stay the course what um, uh, Seidel has set for them rather than trying to change away from that because you know Seidel is a really great operator and I'm just glad that you know Formula One was able to get him following WEC because we've seen the benefit of his work um, at McLaren there was of course rumours that he might end up at Ferrari, or Ferrari were approaching him, but then, you know, that was kind of moot, given the fact that he's now gone over to the Group to, um, head up the, uh, Audi project 2026 onwards. It still means that Ferrari, oh, sorry, um, Alfa Romeo Sauber, or Sauber if you want to call them that, um, still need a team boss next year, so, you know, we'll wait and see how that all pans out. It'll be interesting who they pick now, but, um, we'll just have to wait and see, and Williams is well in need of a team principal, given the departure of Jost Capito and his deputy in, um, FX de Maison, the technical chief. So, Daniel Ricciardo, yeah, you know, like, what do I say more than what's already been said this season? He really just couldn't get a grip on the ornate McLaren, um, and, you know, what I will say is that Norris himself as well struggled with the car, so, People who say, oh, you know, they set up the car just for Norris, you know, um, is absolute hogwash because, you know, he himself said that this car was not to his liking. So it is just a shame the way that the um, relationship between Ricardo and McLaren pan- panned out. You know, we know how good Ricardo is. I'm hoping that him stepping away from racing and being in that third driver role at Red Bull does reinvigorate him if he does get an opportunity in 2024 but you know this could genuinely be it for him too like maybe you know he realizes when he's in the simulator next year at Red Bull and doing some testing that he's genuinely lost his ability which would be a great shame because he like I've said for many years you know going back to 2014 when he first signed up for Red Bull and Got those incredible wins in Canada and Hungary and Belgium, um, that this could be a future world champion would be looking at, and for an Aussie as well, it's the prospect of that was quite um, tasty. But unfortunately, it's just not panned out that way, and you know I can't see him being world champion now unless he doesn't. Nigel Mansell miraculously, but you know while Max Verstappen is in that team, it's it's very much Max's team, and if Ricardo does end up um, in that second seat again, you know, he is going to be playing kind of second fiddle to max, but we'll get to see more race wins, hopefully, like we're seeing from Perez in that position this year, um, Alpine, yeah, said what I needed to about them, you know, Alonso, I don't know what he's doing, going Aston Martin, Ocon and Gasly next year will be quite interesting, um, but for me, a highlight of the season was if we go down to Alfa Romeo and they finished sixth in the championship which is their best finish, I think, since 2012, believe it or not, which is going back a fair way. Um, but Valtteri Bottas, I think best thing he could have done was get himself out of Mercedes, rediscovering himself at um, a midfield team or lower-end midfield team like Alfa Romeo. Um, he did get fifth earlier on in the season um, in... Uh, Imola and had a good weekend at the sprint as well but you know that's kind of kept them afloat through the year um Aston Martin did tie on points with them but because of that fifth for um from Bottas uh, on count back they had the better results overall what do you say about the rookie Grosian Joe Guanyu sorry mate um what do you say about there, him, you know, just crawled by misfortune and unreliability, Um, he didn't really do much wrong himself, and it's quite rich, you know, and, you know, I can be accused of being in that boat as well, at the end of last year when it was announced that he would be taking that second seat at Alfa Romeo, that, um, you know, Oscar, someone like Oscar Piastri deserved that seat over him, he's more talented, but... You know, with what he's done this year, has um, has Joe? He hasn't done much wrong, you know, and he's definitely warranted a place on the grid um, for the time being. You know, it's very much a Nicholas Latifi kind of situation at the beginning. You know, I was one of those people who wasn't as harsh on Latifi after the first year. You know, wait and see how he goes in the second year, and you know, second year was pretty good for Latifi scoring his first points and everything, but then this year he was absolutely rubbish, and, you know, I'm sure Williams has found a better driver in Logan Sargent, hopefully, so we'll see how that pans out, but, yeah, you know, for the, give Joe the benefit of the doubt, you know, we'll see how he goes for another year, whether he'll be around in 2026, you know, even though that is quite a while away still, um, whether he'll be around in 2026 for the Audi project, I doubt it, you know, they'll probably want two, um, high quality drivers, you know, to, they're not going to need anything in terms of budget, um, or, you know, they won't need any pay drivers and whatnot, so, yeah, for them to then come out with two great drivers, hopefully Bottas is around for there, I think he deserves a shot at that, but, um, yeah, you know, for, for this year, for 2022 at least, I think Joe's done a pretty good job, so, you know, we'll see how he goes. Next year, Aston Martin, great, my favourite team. <laughs> um, still disappointing considering the investment from Lawrence Stroll and, you know, they're building their new base and everything, that the brand Aston Martin is only capable of infrequent points finishes, you know, I think they got their car concept wrong at the start of the year, but were able to make some changes and get those developments in which probably in previous years they haven't been able to do because of budget restrictions and whatnot but operating in a cost cap era as well you know they should do quite well moving forward but you know at the same time when you've got Lance Stroll who is very very hit and miss with his results you know he can be brilliant one weekend and then absolutely mess it up on another you know and I'm looking at the US Grand Prix for example where um you know he just ran into Alonso and caused that big crash on the straight and then in Brazil during the sprint race as well putting Vettel in the wall almost his teammate like you know that should have warranted a race ban yet we've got Pierre Gasly on 12 penalty points or whatever it is so you know that's a system again that hopefully they look into next year Seb, you know, unfortunately retiring at the end, or he has now retired from F1, so I think it is a bit of a sad way for him to finish his career, Um, where he did very much peak, you know, when he was at Red Bull, it was disappointing that, you know, the Ferrari stint just didn't work out the way um, everyone would have liked it to have, but at the end of the day, you know, he's done a pretty good job this year to get the points finishes, he ha- he has been able to, with the car he's had, wish him all the best in retirement and with all the endeavours that he wishes to chase, you know, in terms of um, raising awareness about climate change and, you know, equality and all those things as well, um, and yeah, you know, his family life as well is quite important, I understand that as well. So, yeah, good job from Seb this year. Behind them, some disappointment for Alpha AlphaTauri to drop all the way to ninth. Ahead of them was Haas at the end of the day. And Magnussen, you know, coming into the year, probably didn't even think that he'd be in F1 or be making a return to F1. But given what happened with the um, Russian invasion of U- the Ukraine, um, Watson's face ended up out of a drive, which was, you know needed and then Magnussen you know to take them to fifth on his return in Bahrain to Haas was incredible so you know and I say the same thing about Alex Albon as well coming back after a year out and with Williams you know he's done some great races this year to get some points you know the drive in Australia to finish 10th well, he was running seventh and then pitted on the final lap you know, is able to take those hard tyres all the way to the final lap, and then pit and still score a point was excellent, but it is a bit disappointing to see Williams still at the back of the grid, despite, you know, the investment from Doriton Capital, and then, of course, having someone like Yost Capito in charge, and, you know, new technical boss and Demaison as well, but as we know, that's changed, and what's going to happen next year remains to be seen. They've got a good driver lineup, you know, probably not as experienced as others on the grid, given um, Albon is only a year back into F1, and then, of course, Sargent stepping up from F2. I still think it's probably the weakest of lineups on the grid, and I can't expect them, unless they do find some genuine car speed over their immediate rivals at the back of the grid, that they're going to be finishing um, any higher than they did this year. So, and that was last, sadly. Um, Mick Schumacher, you know, like... As much as I don't feel like he's quite cut out for, you know, top tier F1, um, and maybe he could have needed another year to, to settle in and everything, the inconsistency, I guess, for a cash-strapped outfit like Haas probably wasn't good enough, um, as much as I'm a fan of Nico Hulkenberg, I think it's still a conservative choice to bring someone like him back in, you know, investing in Schumacher for another season, like, what's the worst that could have happened, um, it could have, it can't be any worse than this season, for example, so, you know, I would have done it like that, but then again, I'm not to Steiner, I'm not as um, amazing as he is, with the decision-making like that, so, you know, we just got to see how he goes, um, how Hulkenberg next year goes with Magnussen, they're both, you know, proven midfield specialists, and, you know, if that does prove to, prove to work out, then, you know, we could see Haas move up a little bit in the championship from eighth or whatever to, you know, there's a potential sixth there as well with um Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin battling with them Alfa Tauri just a year of con- inconsistency for them they didn't really have the car pace at all to match their midfield rivals you know Yuki Tsunoda I think did a decent job you know to get what he could out of the car if anything you know if there's a moment that sums up their season I think at Silverstone when both their cars did a synchronized spin at the same corner that kind of sums up their season and as we know Gasly is moving on to Alpine so we'll see how he goes next year and Nick DeVries is coming into the um AlphaTauri team the Formula E champion from last year so with all the on-track stuff covered really like all I've got left to say really about 2022 is just disappointment about um you know the lack of championship battle. So while the new regulations did achieve its objective of providing closer racing, um just not having that championship fight was a bit disappointing. And that's not Formula One's fault, that's um Ferrari's fault and Mercedes' fault for not being there. But then at the same time, the managing of the the cost cap saga for Red Bull, where they were found to have been in minor breach of the cost cap regulations last year, um, for them to only be fined and then given a ten percent reduction in aero testing for net um, for the next twelve months, um, was a bit of a bit of a slap to the face. I think you know, given that certainly I came into this cost cap era of F one. With optimism that, you know, Formula One and the FIA are going to start policing this stuff a lot better. You know, they're going to crack down on, you know, teams getting what they want. You know, there's no more throwing the toys out of the cot. You know, you do it our way or you just, you know, you bugger off kind of thing. But then for Red Bull to get a fine for, you know, spending too much money last year, like, there's a reason why they spend that money is because they've got the money to spend so you know it makes no sense that you know you get a fine and 10% we'll see whether 10% reduction in their testing is going to make a difference they certainly think they do but then the likes of mercedes toto wolf they don't think so so we'll just have to see um japan as well the japanese grand prix the confusion over the points situation as well yeah they were supposedly you know these were the new regulations after what happened in, um, what do you call, uh, in Spa last year, but, you know, at the same time, nobody had any idea what was going on, and that's, you know, what, is it Formula One's fault? Yes, because they it was their job to communicate um, what points were going to be awarded, you know, wh- what race distance we had completed, and all that sort of stuff. There was none of that whatsoever, and given the sensitivity around last year's outcome in Abu Dhabi, I thought, you know, for their own sakes, you know, for the sakes of their own brand reputation that F1 and the FIA would put its best foot forward, you know, demonstrate that this is the premier open wheel category in world motorsport and that it's got its house in order. Now I'm just reading from the article I wrote at the end of the year. Um, But, you know, issues such as the wearing of correct underwear and jewellery ended up making up the headlines early on in the year when we had two race directors in Niels Vittich and Eduardo Freitas, um, but the fact that these situations played out as they did was quite dissatisfying, um, I'm a little bit, you know, it is a little bit jarring in a way that, because Formula One is commercially in a golden period, demand is outweighing the supply, um, that, they kind of can feel like they get away with whatever they want because they've got enough of a audience that perhaps don't care about these issues as much as traditionalist fans, such as myself and other people that um, I know would be upset with, you know, the the human rights issues. Um, sports washing, of course, is a whole thing at the moment with the World Cup on in Qatar at the moment. So, you know, the fact that Formula One wants to go to countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia, having three races in the US next year as well with the glitz of the Las Vegas Grand Prix, like, I think, you know, as a spectacle, it should be great, you know, but is it going to put on a good race, you know, I don't know, we'll see, Miami was not very, a um, you know, spectacular race at the end of the day, so, you know, it's that shift away from, you know. The circuits that we loved going to, circuits that actually provide good racing to these destination-type races, which I think is not going to be good for Formula 1 in the long term, because Formula E does it, you know, they go to all those destination cities, they race in New York, London, Paris, whatever, um, now I've got the Madonna, I've got the EWM for Madonna, but um, F1, that's its USP, is that it goes to some of the best circuits in the world, your Spar's, your Monza's, your Silverstone's and whatnot, and yet, you know, this year there was a possibility that um, Spark could have dropped off, you know, and that would have been really sad, it would have been a tragedy, where's the German Grand Prix, you know, we've got two awesome circuits in Germany, why not use them, um, Portimao was excellent the last couple of years we used them, Um, use the Portuguese track Turkey Um, next year we've got a situation where the Chinese Grand Prix has been cancelled which leaves like a four-week gap between Australia and the next race in Baku you know why not try and organize something in in Malaysia because Sepang is such an awesome track yes they struggled to get crowds there at the end before they eventually can that Grand Prix but that's also because of the cost of it you know MotoGP was much cheaper and Malaysian motorsport fans seem to like motorcycle racing more so you know it's about making effort if they made the effort in those areas I think you know they would get the audience Um, and it's a bit sad that Kyle Army didn't quite come off for 2023, but hopefully for 2024 we'll see it, um, and why F1, you know, even made the effort to try and go to China next year, even though nothing has really changed in the last 12 months with their situation and being in perennial lockdown, well, you know, who knows that, but yeah, I guess next year we'll be telling, you know, with the big 23 race schedule, um, whether the, sanctions laid down on Red Bull for the cost cap by the FIA will have an impact or not. Because, um, you know, it is quite sad when people like Toto Wolf are saying, you know, if, you know, it doesn't really make a difference for Red Bull, then all big teams, it's in all the big teams' interest to make a minor breach of the cost cap if it means they win the championship. And that kind of defeats the efforts of the likes of Ross Braun, who also retired at the end of this year, stepping down from his role um, as one of the big bosses in F1. It defeats the purpose and the efforts of his, um, or defeats the efforts of him. Also, Chase Carey as well, because I feel like when Chase Carey was in charge, there wasn't this sort of stuff going on that there is this year under Stefano Domenicali, sadly um, you know, given the fact that Domenicali's got a history in F1 and, you know, would be quite close to a lot of teams and team bosses and all that, um, Carey, I'm sure, would have been a lot more blunt and, um, diplomatic and not really giving a lot of bias in that sort of situation, um, it's yeah it it kind of did leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth at times this season more so than what happened in Abu Dhabi last year purely because you know 2022 the new regulations cost cap and all that was supposed to remedy all the things that F1 was failing in up until now but you know we haven't really had that fully happen yet but there is still time I still have hope I'm hoping that next year can be great um, and yeah, the sport can continue to flourish, and we don't have th- as much of these controversies moving forward, particularly from the FIA and Formula One side, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it, and I can't really think of anything much more to say, um, I've already covered off the, the big team principal merry-go-round, or whatever, so you know, that's pretty much that, you know, whatever news does come out, then between now and the new year, you know, we'll I'll cover off next year when we get there, um, other than that I want to say a big thank you to all my listeners as always this year, it's it's been a challenging year for me um, as some of you close to me might know, um, stuff going on with family and you know some horrible news in the middle of the year as well, you know having to go through that, so you know and that was kind of my point where I realised that Perhaps all this racing stuff isn't as important as, you know, we think it is. You know, I see the passion and some of the the hate on social media in particular. I'm not here for that at all. Um there's more things to life than, you know, making your point heard on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know. I'm talking about what I love, you know, and sometimes in a critical way as well um, on this platform because I feel safe, you know, if people want to engage with me, they're more than welcome, I'm not going to deny them that opportunity, but this is my release and I do it in a way where it isn't hateful or vicious or... um, you know, digging into each other's fan bases and stuff like that, so that's one thing that I wish that next year we can see a bit less of, is the, the, some of the vitriol and hate that's on social media, and I know that's asking a lot, but, you know, it's just, it's really sad, because, you know, I've loved Formula One for, you know, decades now, and it's never been this bad, the, the, um, the social commentary and the fandom and whatnot—it's never been this this hateful and, and distasteful as well. But um, you know, I don't want to end on a positive. Uh, <laughs> don't want to end on a positive note. I do want to end on a positive note. Um, so yeah, hopefully next year it will be a bit different. We'll see some some more kinder things being said overall. But until then, thank you very much everyone, happy holidays, um, stay safe wherever you are in the world, um, be sure to follow the Twitter um, account at Hit the Apex Media. also we'll, there'll be a link through to Instagram and Raw as well, which have written my end of year um, Formula 1 season review piece, so check that out. Um, other than that, you know, check out Grid Talk as well, F1 Grid Talk podcast, um, on all the different platforms they are, you know, I'll be doing one final show for them for the year as well this weekend, so keep an eye out for that, but other than that, take care, stay safe, thank you, and um, we'll see you in 2023.